Welcome to the Broken Five Chart Podcast, episode 205. I almost said 2005. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and with me, Mike Puck from Zega Financial again. Mike, welcome back. Appearance number two. Good to have you. Hey, Derek. Uh, thanks for having me on again. All right. So, Mike, we have a lot to go through, a lot of stuff that's going on. We're recording this on Friday the 27th. By the time people listen to it, it'll be Sunday or Monday. But before the Fed has a big announcement or maybe not a big announcement, I don't know, February 1st, I believe is the expected date. They'll come up with something. That means Chairman Powell will give his news conference. Journalists will ask him 17 different ways what exactly precisely will be the next rate increase or decrease or what they're going to do. He will answer, really. He'll hint, he'll haw. Not certainly like Chairman Greenspan. He used to say everything but say nothing. But Mike, it's sort of interesting. When I look at, I took a look at a fresh look today at the Fed funds futures. And the Fed funds futures can imply what a future Fed funds rate will be. And what does that mean? Well, what they are pricing in right now is they're pricing in about a quarter point, so 25 basis points or one quarter of 1% in February. And then the implied rate is probably another 25 basis points for March. And then it starts to get interesting. I mean, may, I think the, the implied rate might peak at 4.877. That would be in June. And then you go to July, and according to the Fed Fund's futures, they actually have rates coming down a little bit. Now, I, I could get really wonky with this. I won't. And it doesn't the implied rate coming down doesn't necessarily mean a Fed Fund's reduction. But Mike, when I look at this, I mean, right now, the Fed Fund's futures market, and I think a lot of the street, the analysts, and if you talk to people, they're saying, yeah, the Fed's going to raise probably at least another 50 basis points. And then they see cutting and they see the rate coming down, certainly September, November, and they have the Fed funds being less in, I think if I look at this, Mike, uh, by the end of January in 2024, they have it less than what it was at the beginning of the year. So, Mike, I got to be honest, everyone has it one way. I don't know. I mean, is everyone wrong here? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think the big thing that people are looking for right now is what does Powell say, right? I think most people are predicting what he's going to do, whether it's going to be another uh, 25 basis point hike or a 50 basis point hike, but they want to know what is he going to say after, right? Are we done? I think that's what everyone's looking for. That's what the market's looking for is, are we done? So if he says that at the end of the press conference, I think it's going to be positive for the market. Um, people are going to feel a little bit more comfortable. If he says, you know, I think we may have to look at this again and maybe we do another rate later, rate hike later this year or, you know, into Q3, things like that. I think that could spook the market a little bit. Um, but he's using the tool that he has to try to control inflation. Um, you know, when you look at the, the different numbers out there, you're still experiencing it. I know, I know it's come down significantly, but you know, you and I were, were talking earlier um, around orange juice, right? That was something I thought was kind of funny, but I live here in Florida and um, I, I have an interesting stat for you. And this is the first time since 1998 uh, that we're going to have such low orange juice production, right? So that's 
uh, experiencing an example of inflation, right? So for the first time ever, uh, Florida is going to produce less oranges than California. So right along with everybody and all the funny memes out there of, you know, the egg farmers are charging so much. Well, looks like orange juice might be expensive. So there's a lot of things out there, I think, um, that show we need to keep increasing uh, to control inflation. But like you said, they're predicting lower rates uh, by the end of the year. But I'm not so sure that's going to happen. Yeah. So by the way, orange juice, for anyone who's never taken a <laughs> the futures uh, exam or anything like I learned by studying for my futures exam that the size of, of one contract on a lot of the softs, so the softs are things like orange juice and, and beans and sugar and things like that, uh, the size of one contract is whatever you can stuff in a rail car, like a train car. And I, I just did a, some half-baked internet research. It looks like the contract size is about 15,000 pounds per orange juice. But yeah, Mike, I mean, that, that is, those markets are really interesting. I can't say that I follow orange juice prices, <laughs> but right. that is a, a really good example of sort of supply and demand. And when you have supply impacted in any way, unless demand is falling off, like you said, a freeze or a reduction, and the other interesting thing with, with commodities is some of these take a very long time. I have no idea what it takes to, to plant a new orange tree and, and have it grow and, and produce oranges. But sometimes if, if these markets are depressed for a long time, they might switch to something else that, that pays a little bit more. And so anyway, I won't, we'll lose the, the rest of the audience, Mike, if I start going down the path of uh, Jim Rogers has a, a good book. It's probably way outdated right now but explaining the uh, kind of the cycles in, in uh, commodity contracts. But yeah, I mean, the, there's all these things like, all right, so orange is definitely, I would say, based upon your, your in-state, you know, local boots on the ground knowledge, seems like that would get go a little bit higher. But used cars are coming down. Other things are coming down. I mean, inflation month over month has not been bad. I did see that this month, I think is the first time we're going to see an increase in the price of gas. But you said, you know, you're not sure if they're just going to, one, stop it. And I, I'm reading into this, but tell me if I read the wrong thing, Mike. They may not just stop it at 25 or 50 basis points total more. But the other side of this is, I mean, seems like you're saying, hey, what if they just get to where they're going and they just stick there, right? Right, right. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly a possibility, right? They don't need to keep raising forever, but just because they stop raising doesn't mean they need to start cutting. Um, you know, the orange juice was a good example, right? And, and there's a couple of things. There was a freeze that happened. There was a hurricane that happened in Florida. So that is, you know, pushing prices up there. You know, I, I mentioned eggs. I mean, you, everyone's complaining about how much eggs cost these days. So we're certainly experiencing inflation, even though, you know, the numbers show we're coming down a little bit. Uh, but an interesting chart that I came across um, that also t uh, shows that inflation is, is kind of happening is uh, companies, net companies that uh, are planning to increase prices of, of their products in the next three months. And it's very high. I mean, we've hit at least 50 percent of companies are going to increase their prices. And here's another stat on this chart that I'm looking at is companies planning to increase compensation for their employees over the next three months. And that's about 30% when it was at its high, right? So you have a lot of companies out there saying, hey, we're going to charge more for our, our goods and services, but we're not going to pay our employees as much. So 
I think that's another reason you're seeing uh, inflation as well as China. Right? That was that was a big thing. So on the other side of things is you got China coming off a really bad year uh, because of the, the zero COVID policies that they've had. But their their lockdowns are lifting and they're starting to get back to normal. Uh, they're trying to get their GDP uh, back to, to growth rates that they experienced over the past decade or so. And I think that's a good thing. So supply chain, uh, which everyone talked about for a really long time, seems to be fixing itself slowly, but you still have price increases for companies trying to be more profitable, um, not really raising a compensation for employees. So there's a lot of different things going on. And I think, and I feel like maybe we, uh, we, we kind of stay steady when it comes to rates for a little while, right? Maybe we don't cut towards the the third or fourth quarter, like people are thinking. The chart you were looking at, of course, is the NFIB Small Business Economic Survey, three-month moving average. That's uh, J.P. Morgan's Guide to the Markets. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, that's always a, a good thing. One of the interesting things on there you didn't mention, though, talked about the increase plans to increase next three months, plans to increase compensation. But then on higher sales expectations in the next three months, it was negative 15%, meaning it seems like, based upon this survey, that, hey, okay, they uh, they don't think sales are going to be as robust. I was reading something in Freight Waves, and hey, who doesn't read Freight Waves? That is a, <laughs> a site that actually has a ton of information on container shipping and, and logistics and things like that. But there was an interesting little tidbit in there that maybe lines up with this last piece I was talking about on the chart that you were you were referencing. And that is truckers or trucking companies have been seeing that, you know, they're not as, I'll, I'll just simplify, they're not really as busy. And they don't think that the volume has been as big as expected. So there's sort of these, these confounding different sides of the coin here. Now, I would say this, that, you know, there, there is sort of, we think about a couple different cases you could have. You could have the, the 94, 95 case, which is 1994, they raised rates uh, into 1995. And then by September of that year, they cut. And the market really liked that. They took off. But you also have, could have a scenario where, all right, so we get to where we're going and then we stick. And I think the market would be more okay with that than if they thought the Fed was going to raise more. And the reason is, we know, Mike, that markets don't like uncertainty. And I've got to be honest with you. The idea of in a portfolio having the option to have T-bills or you know some of the things that we do where we overlay things on top of those, we use those as part of a, a portfolio, and having you know a 4.5% one-year T-bill, that's actually not a bad thing for investors. I mean, for better part of over 10 years, we've had rates of zero. So I'm not sure what that means in the market. You know, I, I'm, look, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the market? That's why we buy and we hedge. But Mike, I don't think it's the worst thing if they get to where they're going and they actually say, that's it, we're done. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you're right about interest rates in treasuries, you know, 4%, right? Like you said, we do some overlay stuff uh, on top of treasuries and that's the risk-free rate. So I think for the past 15 years or so, People haven't had the opportunity to buy something risk-free and get a decent return. And they do now, right? So that's that risk-free rate, you know, 4%, maybe a little bit more than 4% with U.S. Treasuries. 
So what does that mean for the market overall, right? Is how do people feel? Well, hey, I used to go and buy dividend stocks because they paid me three or 4%. Hey, I can get my 4% now in treasuries and I don't have to worry about the fluctuation of, the, of my stocks or of the market. So that's going to create a new dynamic um, going into this year, as well as um, what you said about uncertainty. So we've, we've seen this, any, any spike in volatility last year, the market pulled back, right? When they talked about raising rates more than expected, you know, if there was a 50 basis point rate hike and they actually did 75, it really seemed to spook the market in June of last year. And we saw a 10% drop. So I, I think if, if Powell does something out of the ordinary, like, uh, like higher than expected, or maybe even keep them steady. Because again, I think people are thinking they're going to cut. You know, you and I talked to um, an analyst earlier this year who was expecting a cut in Q3. So I think when we when we get to the middle of the year, we'll have to see what happens. But there's clear signs that cutting is not necessarily going to happen, um, which will create uncertainty in the market and create some volatility. I mean, look, the base case right now is for a recession. Some people have it the first half of the year. Some people have it the second. Nobody's saying it's going to be a 2008. I shouldn't say nobody, but mo- the base case is not like a 2008. Uh, it's more of a normal recession, which many people in the market haven't experienced. I mean, the last normal recession I went through was probably, uh, well, you know, I was going to say 90, but then even 2000, 2000. 1, 2002, the tech crash was certainly substantial. But, you know, outside of tech, things weren't as crazy. It was just long and drawn out. Here, here's another thing I, was, I would say. Uh, the LEI, the Leading Economic Indicators uh, by the Conference Board, I'll put a link to this in the show notes. You know, they are, they look at leading indicators, and I won't go into all of these, but basically it comes up and they they have a, a positive or a negative and right now it's it's negative and it's it's at a point in the chart that typically when you get past this this level you would have a recession afterwards. Mike, I got to be honest with you too. It, it I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know this, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know how conference boards, the NBER, they'll they'll say, okay, we were in a recession, but they won't say we're in a recession for. Uh, there's a delay, meaning we might not find out we are in a recession right now for another eight months. Who knows? But it wouldn't surprise me if they came out later and said, yeah, we're already in a recession in Q1, Mike. Yeah, I, you, I think we see the numbers later, right? They don't ever tell you you're in a recession until after the recession, at least most of the time. Uh, with the exception of 2008, you know, you could feel that when that market was dropping and people were getting laid off. You, you clearly knew you're in a, a recession uh, or depression in, in some capacity. Uh, but a, a good example is COVID, right? We actually went into a very short uh, recession. It wasn't a long one. Um, and we bounced right back. But they didn't really tell us, hey, it's a recession until after. So it was a, a rather good um, comeback for the market overall. And we didn't really fall into that deep recession that everyone was looking for, which I think is kind of creating some uncertainty here uh, coming into this year, right? What's going to happen? We've hit some some indicators that say, you know, we've hit our warning signals. And every time we've hit these warning signals or these recession signals, recessions have happened. Um, and I, I looked into the definition a little bit more uh, today, and, and I think everybody knows the two uh, negative quarters of GDP, right? If we get two of those, 
uh, will be in a recession. But the other number that people look for uh, is unemployment. And so unemployment doesn't seem to be spiking uh, as much as you would think, but we are seeing some layoffs. So I think I, I read an article, it was, it was on um, uh, CNBC recently, and there's about 70,000 layoffs in the tech market, right? So we're getting some type of layoffs uh, that could be bleeding over into the other markets outside of tech. But I, I'm sure everyone has heard there's quite a few headlines around Google and uh, Facebook and Amazon, uh, Coinbase, obviously, you know, some of those crypto companies, Robinhood, things like that. They've started doing layoffs. And that could be kind of the third lever that's being pulled here where we do in, end up in a recession, which going back to rates would mean they might cut in the future. So we'll see. I don't know if uh, we have those negative quarters because we just, I think, had positive numbers. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next six months. I mean, look, it's, it's uh, and by the way, it, I, I'd have to check this and I should do this. Uh, I, by the way, I'll put a, a link also in the show notes. I did a whole episode explaining what the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research, looks at or what we think they look at from what they've told us to define a recession. And as we mentioned, it's not necessarily two quote, negative quarters in a row. In fact, we've had recessions without negative two negative quarters in a row. Uh, you mentioned employment, though. I, I'd have to check. I think that's usually one of the last things to go, though. I don't, you know, it's... There's other things that show up. Uh, I'll have to do some research on this. But employment's late, I think. And, you know, when you start to see the bad employment numbers, you're sort of already in it. It's also an interesting thing. You mentioned GDP. We just printed, what, uh, advanced, the first advanced estimate for Q4. I think it was positive 2.9. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. That is, uh, you know, you want positive GDP growth. And that's real GDP, meaning... It's not nominal. It, it includes inflation. There were some quirks in it. For example, U.S. durable goods orders were up 5.6. But then if you take out, if you do U.S. durable goods X transportation, and this is you know month over month, it was down 0.1. And I read somewhere that that may have been due in large part to Boeing because they delivered a bunch of aircrafts in, in December, which would put it in the quarter. So it's, I just, I think some of this data, it's like everyone wants to go one place, but, but then you have a, a good GDP. I don't know, you know, that it's not expected to be as much in Q1, but it would surprise to the upside, Mike. And, and that was stronger than most thought. It was. Yeah, I, I did see that. And it was a lot stronger than I think most people thought. Um, so it is creating an interesting dynamic, and I was able to find that article uh, and, and pull it up here for, for the tech companies. And you're right. When the layoffs start to come, they're usually in the later part of the recession uh, or at the start of the recession, at least. So the tech numbers are interesting. I, I got them here. Alphabet laid off 12,000 employees. Microsoft was 10,000. Amazon was 18,000 layoffs. Uh, Crypto.com was 500. Uh, Coinbase was 2,000 and Salesforce even, that's interesting, um, 7,000 layoffs and Meta or Facebook, 11,000 and Twitter, 3,700. So, and there's a few others on here, Spotify and Netflix and Snap are another 2,500 um, and Robinhood is about 1,100 here. So the, some layoffs are happening. I think there is some slowing going on 
Um, they'll again, they'll let us know later, right? The, 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 they like to tell us later if we're in a recession, especially if we start to see rate cuts and they, they know we're in a recession or they're trying to avoid a, a, a deep recession. Um, but the, the numbers look interesting. I think when you when you watch what's going to happen going into this year, you probably see a little bit less um, growth than we've seen the past year. I think this is one of those cases too, Mike, where the market is smarter than all of us. And you know, we have all these tech layoffs, and I think the layoffs have been really concentrated in tech. I believe, and I could be wrong from memory, but uh, the CEO of Raytheon was on CNBC, and I swear he said, hey, no, we're not laying off people. We need 6,000 people. My point about tech, though, is those are some of the sectors or the, the sector and the companies that have declined, had some of the most declines in the market. And I think the market sometimes knows this, and the market got ahead of that. Uh, it's interesting enough, though, I saw something in Bloomberg where they looked at the job cuts in tech, and the average was about 9% of the workforce. But the share price change in the session immediately following the announced layoffs was up 5.6%. So that's, I think what they're saying in the session means in the day after they re, or the day of, they, the stock went up, all those stocks went up collectively 5.6%, which is a pretty nice jump. You know, but speaking of the market, though, Mike, I also, and Jay and I talked about this last week, how the market typically leads. And I've seen a lot of research and data that earnings, the market will bottom before earnings bottom. Mike, we're in the, the midst of earnings season. We just midst. Yeah, I said midst. It's midst, right? M-I-D-S-T, I should have said. Uh, Refinitiv puts out an S&P 500 earnings dashboard. I'm looking at this from, yeah, this is Q4. What they do is they put together and they say, okay, and as of today, Friday the, the 27th, 143 out of 357 companies reported. Okay. So then what they do is they take the actual reports. So the companies that have reported their Q4 2022 or their yeah, the Q4 data, which for some companies could be their Q1, their depends on their fiscal year. But it's the, you know, the months ended December. Uh, and then they they use a blend and they blend those actual with the remaining estimates. So the, all those companies that haven't reported yet. And S&P 500 earnings in Q4 2022 are expected to be down about 2.9% versus a year ago. Q4 2021. Mike, you look at this and you say, okay, so how have the sectors done? No surprise, energy is expected to be up 59.6% year over year. In fact, if you subtract out the energy earnings, I think the expectation is to be down about 7.7% year over year outside of energy. Industrials uh, are up, but then you look at consumer services, materials, and technology. Technology earnings are down. Uh, they're expected to be down about 8.7%, but you know, consumer services, 21%. My point here is that we don't know where the market's going to go. That's where we buy, we hedge, we do other things, create buffers, limit some risk. But the market's over 4,000 right now. And if this is setting up, and, and I hope it is, if this is setting up, you would say, okay, the market already bottomed. Now we're going to get an earnings bottom and maybe we'll get a recession or maybe we won't. But the market is smarter than all of us. 
and the market anticipates this and it's a market is a leading thing. So, you know, if you're a bull right now, you say, yeah, the market knew all this was coming and it's already discounted that. I mean, that's the bull case. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some bulls out there as you, as you look around and one of them I, I listened to a little bit today was Jeremy Siegel, right? The economist, uh, and he talked about the market's poised for a 15% run up from where it currently is today. And look at the numbers. Let me pull them up here. Right? The S and P 500 year to date. I know we're only in January, but the S and P's up six and a half percent this year so far. So there's, there's plenty of people on the bull side of things. And there's some signals um, out there that that are, are pointing higher. Um, you mentioned uh, a leading indicator. You know that's absolutely correct. The market is always a leading indicator when it comes to this. That's why I think last year, in anticipation of the recession, you saw that big decline, and I think we we're down as low as 25 to 26 percent. Um, and then we ended the year about down 18. Uh, and, and now you've seen the market start to edge higher. Um, one of the other things is the election cycle, right? We, you've probably talked about this, and I think I've heard you and Jay talk about it on the podcast, right? We're in the third year of election cycle. Well, market goes up in that third year, 90.5% of the time, regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of who's uh, in Congress or the Senate, and it goes up an average of 16 plus percent. So historically, when you look back, there's a lot of positives on the market, where uh, you know we could see a good market run up. Uh, like I said, Jeremy Siegel's calling for one. A few other economists are calling for it. Um, there, so, so we'll see what happens. I'm looking at the chart here, and I see, yeah, S&P at negative 2.9. Uh, consumer services, they got a real negative outlook here. And uh, that's an area that we could see some growth in because uh, think about it, COVID's really over. I mean, and, and knock on wood here, I hope we don't have to deal with it again. But, uh, you know, people are starting to go out more and more. I've seen that reflected in airline prices as they uh, go out and take flights. I think you're seeing that some of the restaurant stocks, right? People are going out to restaurants more. They're sick of eating at home. Um, so there are some people that have a positive outlook. Like you said, this is why it's so hard to pick stocks and it's better to be broad-based market owners uh, and hedge portfolios. So there's some positives uh, trickled in here with a lot of the negatives. You know, I haven't traveled uh, recently, but you have been traveling. And I remember 2008, so I'm going to ask you about that in a second. But I, I remember like 2008, 2009, I was traveling every week for, uh, you know, going around the country, talking to, you know, doing public speaking events for investors and teaching people about trading and managing risk and all that stuff, options. And I had this little thing where I would park in a garage in, at the Phoenix airport and you could tell how bad things got by how good your parking spot would be. And it stayed like that for a while. And then I remember it was, it was a couple of years and I was like, oh yeah, I can't get on, can't get on level three anymore right next to the elevator. I got to go to level four. And then things started to get better. But I'm curious, I mean, you have been traveling, Mike, are airports dead or are they absolutely busy? Yeah, so I, I remember 2008 as well, and um, even 2001, right, right after yeah. 9/11. I mean, there was nobody, nobody jumping on planes. Uh, I can remember hearing a story uh, of my dad got on a plane. I think he said there was three people on it. Um, 
And then I have a similar story with COVID. I, I, I actually happened to be going to a wedding right when COVID started and there was probably six or seven people on a, on a, on a, a large flight that probably had over a hundred passengers. So um, nowadays I am doing a lot of traveling. Jay and I are, are back on the road, you know, meeting with a lot of advisors and, uh, and clients. And, you know, I, I'd say airports are packed uh, everywhere I go. I was in Tennessee recently and it was just jam packed. Every time we're in Dallas, you know, you're running to your flight and it's, it's just packed. Uh, I would say airports are busier than I've ever seen them. I, I think I saw the statistics um, uh, from the transportation department. And I think we're, they were saying we're at 90% uh, to where we were before COVID. Uh, but it feels busy. When you're, when you're in the airports, it certainly feels busy. And I'll tell you this, I, I went to Kansas City um, not too long ago uh, for a business meeting. And I couldn't get a rental car. Uh, that's how busy they were. Now, now it's Kansas City, so a little smaller airport than Miami or uh, Phoenix uh, or Dallas. But I couldn't even get a rental car, and I had to use Toro to get a rental car. And I, I ended up renting a nice guy. <laughs> I gave him five stars. He, he, had, he had a great, great car, and it got me where I needed to go into my meetings. But uh, I couldn't even get a rental car. So yeah, I think people are starting to travel and uh, and get back to you know seeing family and friends and exploring. So. I, I think we'll see more and more of that, which is good. I think it's a good thing. I mean, that the, the sort of quote unquote boots on the ground reporting there is top notch, Mike. So that's uh, no, but I'm serious. <laughs> like you, you see that. I mean, you just, you see it. And it's like, you know, you and I, I live in Arizona, you live in Florida. And one of the things I could see around past recessions, uh, not the COVID one, by the way, we said COVID so many times, we're going to get the, the Joe Rogan blue banner on Spotify, but <laughs> 2008, 2009, I remember spring training and we've had uh, giant spring training tickets for years here in, uh, in Scottsdale and you try and sell games that you weren't going to. And normally those go, I mean, in a, in a second, those games are packed and, and there was always a little tell. So now I'm, I'm sort of making a joke, by the way, Toro, that's where you rent some guy's car. It would be a, a, a person's car, right? Guy or woman's car. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so Toro is like Airbnb, but for cars. And so you, you know, you're, if you're going to a city, instead of, you know, jumping on the uh, Hertz app or Avis, you, you, you go on Toro and you got all sorts of cars, but it's just people renting out their cars uh, for a day or for a couple of days. And you got real nice cars on there too. You know, I've seen some Lamborghinis rented on there. Uh, you know, I think I rented a station wagon or something, but it was, it was what I could get last minute. And uh, yeah, it's just Airbnb for cars, pretty neat company. And uh, you know, if you don't use your car much, uh, it's a way to make money. Very interesting. And, and is, all right, well, I'll have to ask you about that offline. I, I, I'm curious about the whole insurance aspect of it, how that works out. But yeah, that's fascinating. She just show up at some guy's house. You're like, Hey, you know, can I have your keys? And he goes, here you go. You know? So interesting. Yep. That's exactly how it works. Actually, they left them in the mailbox for me. Very nice, nice couple. <laughs> Do you know that, uh, and this is a, another good example of economics and you talked about rental cars. I think it was Hawaii when things were really, really crazy with rental cars, with the prices. I think they've subsided somewhat, but people look for substitutes. And I swear I read an article where Instead of going and, and you know renting from Hertz or Avis or any of those companies, people were getting an Uber and they were going to the Home Depot 
and renting like one of those Home Depot pickup trucks for because it was thirty dollars a day or something like that. And I think isn't that crazy? You like so you're like on vacation and you're you're driving around a little flatbed or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 I'm sure it happened. No doubt, no doubt. All right. So one of the things that uh, let me see, you and I we actually had a list. Did I cover? Oh yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Tesla. And Tesla just reported sure. earnings. And uh, you know, look, we don't know. You know, we're not not in the recommendation business on individual stocks. But I, I found it really interesting. And uh, if you want more information about how we hedge portfolios, the things we're doing, Derek Moore DegaFinancial.com. That's D E R E K dot M O O R E. Add Z is in zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in or G is in George, A is in Apple. Financials up to you to spell correctly.com. But Tesla reports earnings. And I'm this is, I think, I'll give you my my sort of rundown on this, and you can tell me what you think. This is a good example of why it's really difficult to pick individual stocks. Tesla comes out with earnings, they report. Uh, record revenues about eighty one point three billion. The year before it was only fifty three point eight billion. Their net income went from five point six billion in twenty one, I think, for fiscal year twenty one, to twelve point five billion. But the stock went from you know three oh two and a half and change. When I did this, I think the stock was around one fifty eight. It might be a little bit higher today. And so you look at this and you say, okay, it's price to sales went from 17.4 to 6.1. It's, it's earnings grew, but the stock is down. I mean, it's down almost 50%. And if you would have said to somebody last year, hey, you know, all of this, you know, what, what if we have a record year in revenues, record year in earnings, wouldn't the stock be up? But no, it hasn't. And when you look at this, and I did basically a forward multiple on next year's earnings projections, it's trading about 39 and a half times forward, you know, fiscal year, full year 23 uh, numbers right now. The year before though, it was trading about, I don't know, about 83, 84 times. The year before that, 153. The point I'm making is that we have seen not only in 2022, but 2021, the stock market, market as a whole the multiple drop, meaning what people are willing to pay for the, every dollar of earnings, it dropped in 22. Earnings, it looks like, are going to be flattish to up in 22. I think they're going to be up in 22 um, or flattish. But the multiple, all of that decline was on the multiple. And, you know, right now, I mean, look, the market, as you stated, is up a little bit. But this just goes to show you, like, the multiple is what matters here. And people have decided they're not willing to pay as much for the future dollars of earnings, or maybe in the long term, they don't think the earnings in the future are going to be as robust. But I think it's, Mike, it's just a good example of how how difficult it is sometimes to look at individual companies. Yeah, it is. It's, it's very difficult to pick individual companies, um, especially when it comes to a company like Tesla. You know, I'm looking at the at the the graph right now. And the, and the stock's been all over the place. I mean, on a one-year chart, that's a one-year look back from today, it's down 37%. And if you look year to date, it's it's up 
uh, just year to date, right? So for just for January, it's up 64%. Wait, so 64 in, for in January? Like, yeah. Yeah. Really? It's 64% year to date. Uh, wait. Uh, yeah. Yep. 64%. I'm looking at it right now. Um, so it's up $69 uh, this year. So it's had a pretty good run. I guess it was down around 120 and, and check my math on here if you want to punch into the computer. But yeah, I'm looking at it right now in year to date. Uh, let's see. Well, 60 on 120 is sure at least it. 50% there. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, it was up 11%. Just, uh, wait a minute. Yeah, just today it had, had a really good run. So, uh, yeah, yeah, 11% just today. So it's a, it's a volatile stock. I think there's some interesting data coming out on Tesla. The um, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act actually gives you a tax credit uh, for EV vehicles uh, this year. So I think that's going to come into play for Tesla. So there's a lot of things that, that are talked about when it comes to Tesla. And I, you know, we had a client this week uh, talk about Tesla and asked me about it. And it's constantly in the news. So there's a lot of risks when you're buying individual stocks, right? Whether it's headline risk with the news, whether it's competitive risk with different companies, right? Is Tesla versus maybe some of the new EVs coming out? You know, Lucid has a great car, right? That's really competing with Tesla um, or, or, or just market risk in general, right? I mean, the market could go down for some reason and you might be overexposed because you're concentrated in one specific area. So picking individual stocks comes with a lot of risk. I uh, can obviously, we know this come with reward as well. Uh, you know, if you, if you look at Tesla on a, on a five-year chart or longer, it probably looks great. Um, and and I, I think picking stocks can be tough. We like the, the broad market exposure stuff, especially when we have it hedged um, or we have a buffer on it, right? We, we feel we can do a little bit better. But yeah, you're right. You know, Tesla's done good in a couple ways and uh, or, or in a couple areas. And I think they're growing, but the stock was down big time last year. So maybe that's what we're seeing right now is just a slight increase in the uh, in the position are kind of a, a dead cat bounce off of uh, what happened last year. I'll tell you what, we'll we'll do a show in six months and we'll see what happened. I'm not making any predictions on Tesla. I stopped doing that long ago. <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, I, I do wonder, by the way. So I, I think last week I talked about with Jay, I thought that uh, what did I say? Amazon, I think, is going to buy AMC at some point. That was one of my my predictions that will that. I have no basis of making like, I wonder at some point, I think Tesla is too big for another car company to buy, but I wonder if Tesla actually goes and, and buys somebody or maybe, they, I don't know. I don't mean, but it's, it, it'd be interesting to do this. And you know, like if, if you look at something like free cash flow as a metric, and that's, that's what a lot of value investors like to look at. And you look at how much free cash flow changes quarter to quarter, year to year. And then you look at what a stock price changes. I mean, there's a lot more variance or, you know, volatility in the price of a stock than there is in the fundamentals. So, and, and by the way, it, you know, if somebody was asking me, Hey, why was Tesla down last year? I'd say, I don't know, more sellers than buyers. What, what do you want me to tell you? But it's, it's a multiple thing uh, or it's, they, they've come down. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, but yeah, individual stocks are really difficult to, uh, to pick. That's why I leave that to, to others. So I think, did we go through our list, Mike? We had a, we had a good list today. I think we did. 
Yeah, I think we made it through everything. We, ma- here. we made it through. Um, Nobody, no, no blood drawn. No, uh, no, nothing. Good, good. We made it through. Uh, I, no huge disagreements here. No, I mean, look, I, I think that the Fed is going to be the story until they're not the story, right? And to right. me, it's just. I mean, Powell so far, and here's the other thing. I think the Fed, this is just my opinion, they do not want the market do, going really well. Like they don't want the bond market uh, to, to see rates drop, especially, you know, in, in the belly of the curve. I don't think they want to see equities run. I don't think they want to see housing run. I mean, they've clearly, you know, by raising rates. So I, in some ways, I think they're going to keep messaging I don't know. We're not done. Still work to be done on inflation. You know, look at the wage growth. Look at that. But in the end, the market's going to do what the market does. And to your point, if we have any sort of slowdown and if inflation stays in, I mean, they could just stick. They could just stay or they could lower. But um, I, I just think Powell is, you know, there's a meme going around that Powell wants your job. He wants your house. He wants everything, you know. So uh, I they don't, they've clearly not been a friend to the equity market. There's no Powell put right now. And until that changes, but I mean, you know, I, and we, let's talk about this real quick. Good news. Good news is good news or bad news is good news or good news is bad news. And I think it's really mixed right now because we have some good news and the market likes that. And then we have some bad news and sometimes the market likes that as well. Right. Yeah, that that's true. Um, I think you know I said this earlier in the podcast, and I, and I I think everyone is focused on it. Is we know some type of rate hikes coming soon, right? Twenty five, fifty. I think everyone's anticipating twenty five um, basis points. But what does he say after, right? And and you just said it. Does he say, hey, we need to keep getting this under control, and we need to keep raising? Um, I think that's what everyone's looking at, right? Is what happens after this next rate hike? Do do we level off? Do we hike a couple more times? Do we need to hike into the end of the year? Are there cuts, right? I mean, I I think that, right, Bernanke, when he used to come to the Fed meetings, everyone used to look at how thick his briefcase was or what color his socks were, uh, right? So they could kind of anticipate what he was going to say. You know, I, I think it's the same thing with Powell. Everyone's looking at what he's going to say, not necessarily what he's going to do right now, because I think we we have that idea of what he's going to do for now. But what is he going to say? What's going to happen in the future? And to your point, um, there's not there's no guarantees that they start cutting at the end of the year. Maybe they say, hey, we're going to stick with this for a little while, which we'll see how the market reacts to that. One thing's for certain, though, the bond market does not believe Powell and the Fed. And we see that in the fact that we have an inversion right now. If you go out and you were to buy, let's say, you know, maybe a, a maturity in July, the annualized rate is right around 4.8%, I think. And the Fed funds expect or the implied rate is about 4.88 or 4.81 right now. So it's like, I think the bond market seems to say, yeah, I think they're going to raise. But you look at fives and tens and they're much lower. I'm not even talking about the 30, you know, the 30 year or something like that. So they do not believe the Fed can keep rates this high. We'll see what happens. Mike, you mentioned Jeremy Siegel. Have you read Stocks for the Long Run? I I got his new edition and I haven't yet gone through it. Have you read those? No, you know, I know he wrote the book, I think back in 94. 
Um, but I have never read it. Is it a good book? It's good. And he just put out, I, I bought it. I have it. I haven't read it. One of the most compelling things in there, he's got this chart and it's, uh, both nominal. And then he has another chart. I think it's real returns of equities. And I think it goes back to the 1800s and he's got bonds and he has gold, the dollar and equities far outpace everything else. So that's hence the, the stocks for the long run. But I think if, if somebody out there is a student of the market or they just, you know, enjoy looking at historical stuff, that is, uh, I'll, I'll make that a good recommendation for the week. Uh, although I haven't read his new one, there's past, past ones out. Uh, other than that, Mike, I, I gotta, I gotta take a win because I had recommended, I think a few podcasts ago, uh, a movie on Netflix called all quiet on the the Western front. I think I'm getting that right. And I, I saw somebody was telling me it got nominated for like seven or eight Oscars, which, uh, all right, good for them, but it was a good movie. So I'll, I'll mention, I'll mention that one again. Yeah. I, you know, I, I heard you, uh, I, I think you did mention that on our last podcast. I haven't seen it yet. So, you know, uh, I, I, it's still on my list to get to, but I did see that it won some awards. So I think it, it definitely got some good reviews. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been busy. I'm training right now. I, if I had to give a recommendation to wrap up here, uh, it, I'm doing the Miami uh, half marathon this, uh, this Sunday. So this will be my eighth half marathon and I've done one full one. I know you've done a handful of them. Uh, but if I had to recommend a race, if you're a runner, uh, the Miami marathon is a great one. Well, you picked a great time of the year, right? I mean, you, it's what 80 degrees there now, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's pretty good. I, I hope the weather stays. I mean, it's close to my house, right? I can, that's why I do it so often, but we're probably 70, low seventies right now. So if it gets a little cooler on Sunday, I'll, I'll, I'll be a little faster. So I'm hopeful that it, it cools a little bit over the next few days, but we got great weather either way. You know, we're probably running seventies, mid seventies at the highest. So it, it's a great run. It's over the bridges and you see plenty of water. It's a, it's a great run for Miami. I think over 25,000 people do it too. So it's a busy one. Is that part of the rock and roll series or is that, that individual, it's not, not associated with the rock where they have the bands every mile? Uh, not bands every mile. They certainly have a few different bands, but, uh, and a, a couple of DJs, you know, it's Miami, right? <laughs> they got, they got DJs and nightclubs and stuff like that. So disco balls. Uh, but it, no, I don't think it's part of that series. I think it's a little standalone, but, um, it'll, it's a great race because you know, a, lot, a lot of the city comes out for it and, uh, I'm looking forward to it. That's awesome. All right, Mike, I think we'll call it there. We solved all the market and the world's problems. Uh, the rest of the ones we didn't solve, we'll, uh, we'll leave that for other people. Mike, thanks again for coming on and for everyone else. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Mike. Sounds good. Thanks, Derek. <laughs>